Welcome to the Attractions Group Podcast, number 51. I'm Ryan Sir. With me, as always, is Don. Don't call it a comeback. Hell big. Don, how you feeling today? You know, I'm feeling great, Ryan. It's, uh, you know, just uh, enjoying the sun. It's, uh, you know, a nice part of the summer right now that I like. I know a lot of people like it when it's a little bit cooler, but, you know, when it's, you know, 85, 92 kind of a range, that, that's, that's my time of year. 85 to 92 that's that's your preference right there it's a little high for me that's that's the sweet spot for me i love it when it's like that not a fan of the cold never have been. no i'm not a fan of the cold either i do like uh that kind of perfect weather when it's like 72 and a little overcasty and stuff i enjoy that personally yeah move to san diego if that's what you want every day yeah i couldn't afford it if i wanted to (laughs) (laughs) awesome so uh so right off the bat um update on the merchandise front we got some other stuff rolling. Well, out. we have uh, you know T-shirts. We've had some orders on the T-shirts, and we're getting those uh, you know ready to get uh, shipped out. But we're also going to be able to have tumblers. Also going to be able to have buttons available. If you're interested in these these products, these items, uh, just send us a message on Twitter, which is attractions underscore grp, and uh, you know we'll let you know about pricing and um, you know, just let us know what you're interested in. And that's just the start. And we'll start showing these products soon on our our Twitter and Facebook page just to let everybody know uh, what's available and also show you on the video, you know, portion on YouTube and also show you there. Awesome. Yeah. It's uh, we're going to get something set up where you can just buy through the online store sooner than later, but we're going to go the back route and come up with the products and then figure out how to get them in people's hands afterwards because yeah, it's a nice looking shirt, you know, with, you know, everybody, you know, that I've talked to that listens to our podcast, they really like the logo and it pops on a t-shirt uh, so we appreciate those that have have made the purchase already. Yeah, absolutely. And if uh, you you're walking around the park, especially if you're wearing a Attractions Group podcast T-shirt, see us, stop us, take a selfie with you. It'd be fun. Um, so Don, um, before we get into anything else, uh, just remember you can watch us on YouTube. There's an actual video version where it's us uh, on camera. It's not just a logo or anything. Um, by searching for the Attractions Group podcast. Um, please subscribe there. Uh, we're available on all your favorite podcast apps. As Don mentioned, we are at, uh, on Twitter at attractions underscore GRP. We are extending out to threads and all that stuff, but that's not a priority right now. Um, and Don, didn't you have some, there was some sort of like personal thing. A lot of people have been talking about, especially this past week. Did you want to address that on the show? Yeah, I mean, there's some big news. I mean, obviously, it's been out there in social media, but mm-hmm. we'll address that near the end of the show. You know, we got a lot of other things to talk about before we, we get to me. Yeah, absolutely. That's the first time I've ever seen you say, you know, let's talk about something else before we talk about me. But Don, we've been... Th- oh, come on, man. You know <laughs> we, that. We kicked That's this... not true. <laughs> so we almost kicked off this episode um, early today because we started posting about this on social media, which is not something we typically do, um, mainly because our subject matters change and that's why we don't openly talk about next week's guest or whatever, cause people cancel or whatever. But so it's no secret to those of you who follow us on our personal, you know, social media or on uh, the attractions group, social media that today we're going to be remembering Lesordsville Lake in Monroe, Ohio. I knew it as Americana amusement park. So let's, uh, let's start with the history of it, Don. So it opened what, 1922. Yeah. 1922 is, you know, basically a family picnic destination with some swimming amenities back then. 
And uh, then around the 1940s, you know, that's when it started to transform into an amusement park. So they started adding rides, you know, uh, different attractions, an arcade. Uh, so that's when it started to become what most people knew it as, as an amusement park. Uh, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s, you know, early 70s, you know, was the, you know, the um, place of choice for summer entertainment in the Miami Valley, you know, southwest Ohio. Um, you know, it really flourished during those years. Uh, so, you know, everybody knows kind of in the 70s after Kings Island opened, you know, things changed for them. They had a rebrand in 1978 to Americana. And, uh, you know, things kept happening. You know, they had uh, different fires and things. A big one in 1990, uh, electrical fire that uh, took out a number of different attractions and buildings. And, um, and it was about five million plus in damages. And it was just never the same. That led to bankruptcy and then just, you know, a series of different owners uh, that operated the park through 1999, briefly opened again in 20, uh, 2002 uh, with Jerry Couch owning it, uh, but could just never get that traction back that they had in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and early 70s. Yeah, and unfortunately, a lot of uh, theme parks of this type were lost to time. You know, it had some great roller coasters uh they tried to shoehorn in some modern rides toward the end uh but this is your typical you know your tilt-a-whirl your roundup your wooden coaster your carousel stuff like that um yeah and when you talk about flat rides mm -hmm. americana lasordsville lake whatever you knew it as it didn't take a back seat to many parks when it came to their lineup of flat rides i mean they had all the classic you know you mentioned something like the tilt-a-whirl and uh you know roundups those kind of things trabant uh log flume you know just all those kind of rides um so when you were look if you were a family maybe you weren't into roller coasters or something it was a great place to go and so many of the attractions families you know friends they could all ride it together yeah absolutely um i do remember riding the the log flume now that was a late edition that was like uh early to mid late edition, yeah that yeah. was early to mid 80s at some point the loggers run Right, um, right. and I actually have a, uh, like a beer stein, not like full beer stein. It's just glass. It's not very decorative, but it says Americana loggers run. Somebody saw that at, a, um, uh, like a secondhand store up North, like a little North of Cincinnati and they bought it for me. So thank you for that. I still have it. Um, what was your favorite ride there? Don't say train and don't say carousel. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say those. No, it was, uh, the Screeching Eagle, it was known as the Space Rocket when I first rode it. Mm -hmm. uh, it was after I rode the Racer in 72, but later that that summer, you know, I was ready to ride roller coasters then. Uh, incredible, incredible coaster. It had just this abundance of airtime, you know, spectacular airtime. It was uh, a roller coaster that uh, was built 1927 by John Miller and uh, was relocated mm -hmm. for the 1940 season to Lasordsville Lake. Um, not the biggest, not the longest, not the fastest. I think it was like 70 feet, you know, was the height. Mm -hmm. uh, the drop was 65 feet. Uh, you see a lot of coasters now in, in kids' areas that have a 65-foot drop. That was 2,600, you know, plus feet of track. It reached speeds up to, up to 40 miles per hour. Uh, it was about a minute and 35 in ride time uh, the train was short uh, it had uh, three cars so and there was three benches in each car so the capacity was uh, 18 uh, but i remember in the 70s and there was a couple times you know where 
you know, I was knocking out 40 to 60 rides a day on that. And sometimes, you know, they would tell me to go ride another ride before I came back to that, you know, because that was one of the things they wanted you to do the whole park. So they would say, hey, kid, go ride something else, then come back. Um, so a lot of great memories on that. Just a spectacular coaster. And they actually wanted to um, to relocate it. Uh, John Robinson, a, a good friend of mine, uh, his uh, father was involved at La Swordsville Lake you know, running the park and that, but he's got his own marketing company now where, you know, he works with the smaller parks, but, um, you know, he was looking into moving it to Lake Winnipesaukee, which is in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, but because by that time, after uh, Americana closed, you know, you're getting into the, the, you know, late, early 2000s, you know, 2010, 14, 15 range, uh, all these changes in laws, you know, you had to keep it up to code if you were going to move it. You know, so there were some of the tightness and, you know, the drops. There wasn't enough distance between the time you dropped down and went back up and things like that had to be a little bit expanded. Mm -hmm. So it was just going to cost more to move it, do all those renovations on it, you know, reprofile it and things. It just would have been cheaper to, to just build a new ride. So unfortunately, it had to be demolished. And that ended up being, unfortunately, the right decision uh, for that coaster. But well respected by coaster enthusiasts. Yeah, great ride. Um, and and let, let's deep a little bit diver in. Uh, let's let's dive a little bit deeper into. See, I'm losing my ability to speak, Don. This gets worse. This is degenerative, and I lose it a little bit more every time we do an episode. It's somehow your fault. I swear. Anyway, um, let's dive a little bit deeper into the Screech and Eagle. Um, so I remember when Americana was our like once a year theme park experience until. I was probably eight or nine and I started going to Kings Island because my parents saw it as Kings Island is the big expensive grown up thing. And Americana is the, mm -hmm. it's $4 and 50 cents or whatever. Who cares if they're afraid to ride everything thing. Um, so I was always afraid to ride, but I did get to ride in 2002 when the park had a brief two or three month reopening under Jerry couch. Um, now it had buzz bars. It had, uh, if I recall correctly, it had NAD trains, but a lot of PTC work was done on them. So it was almost like a hybrid yes. on it. Um, yeah. But I'd be remiss if we talked about, uh, you, you know, the uh, the Eagle without <laughs> mentioning uh, our friend, um, and that's Al Freeman. So Al Freeman, uh, you, those of you who are local to Cincinnati may know him for years. He worked in a lot of the shops at Kings Island. Um, but his career was that he worked on the Screeching Eagle and yeah. it wasn't like he was a ride op. He was back in the day when he worked there, they ran the ride all summer and then they maintained it all winter. And he, he's got plenty of stories on his uh, social media about, you know, he remembers a time when a piece of track came up and this and that, and all sorts of just amazing stories. Great guy. I, I really miss him. He, yeah. He's since retired. He's, he's not working anymore, but, um, he, he like just just fantastic, and I just I did I thought we would be remiss if we didn't mention his name along with the Screech and Eagle. Um, it's hard to say uh, La Swordsville and Americana without mentioning Al, and you know as you said, a great guy, and love seeing his pictures, you know, and especially the ones that he's showing of whether it was called the Space Rocket at the time or uh, the Screeching Eagle, and just the maintenance work that was being done. But you also, I mean, it was you, you didn't have the control you know, box and things that you see now, you know, on the, on the coasters at parks, it had in the middle of the floor, there's the lever, you know, where you're, you're pulling the lever and that releases the train. And, you know, that's how you stopped it coming back in. Uh, a lot of times one person operation, you know, you didn't have two or three people on the crew. It was one person, you know, and 
that's how it was back then. Uh, but just a phenomenal ride and, you know, just so many memories riding that ride. And before it even came to um, Lesordsville, its, its original name was the Cyclone. Mm-hmm. So they carried that name over and then changed it to the Space Rocket, then changed it later on to the Screeching Eagle. Great logo. Oh, yeah. And I still, you know, somewhere have a T-shirt uh, with that logo on it. And, uh, you know, that was one of the, you know, the few items in that that they did sell there with the T-shirts. But, you know, they had your typical carnival games. Um you know, uh, they had good entertainment, a lot of different special events. There was one event, you know, that they did that was um, they they took this um, like a lot of jello, and they had people could jump in the jello and try to find a key to win a car. So they would do crazy stunts like that all the time, and you know, you always heard about the things they were doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you'd, you'd see it on the news all the time. Uh, they had some big name acts that you know from the 1940s on that uh you know played there as it got into the 70s you know you saw a little bit more of uh you know some of the local tvs had their tip you know their their morning daytime kind of shows the bob ron show the nick clooney show those kind of things you know you those kind of took over for the the bands and that that were out there uh but there was always entertainment going on and they were pretty busy on the weekends especially on Sundays, that seemed to be their big day. You know, there'd be crowds of any, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten thousand would come on a Sunday, a big group sales day for them. And that was one of the things that was, um, you know, because of the the group business that they did, you know, a lot of picnics uh, with companies and they'd done those for years. They really weren't too concerned when Kings Island started, started construction. They felt that there was uh, plenty of room for both. They thought, uh, you know, based on the cost of operating their part versus what it was going to cost to operate Kings Island. They thought if they got 600, 700,000 people, you know, they were going to do well. And they thought Kings Island needed to do well more than a million people, you know, just to make ends meet. So they didn't really see it as a threat, you know, but it became that. And, uh, you know, the rest is history there. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, they, they famously, you know, <clears throat> you can't look up Lasordsville Lake without seeing their quote about, Oh no, this town's big enough for both of us. Um, clearly, clearly, yeah, they, they thought because people, yeah, they thought because people would be coming, you know, from Columbus and Indianapolis and all those other places to go to Kings Island, that if they were staying in the area, that they would certainly want to go check out Zordsville Lake where they were there. You know, it just didn't happen. Um, you know, Kings Island was at the time they thought you know they're going to be too expensive. You know, they're going to be six dollars a mm-hmm. ticket, and Americana was three fifty. Right you know, going into 1972. Um, but the, you know, the picnics, which was the bread and butter of the Swordsville, a lot of that moved to Kings Island. And, uh, you know, when they lost that, it was, you know, it just wasn't going to be the same, you know, it was going to be tough year after year to, to make ends meet. So you, you mentioned something interesting. Um, you know, they had a bunch of, uh, you, you know, people basically playing Double Dare a couple de- decades before that became a thing where they're trying to find a key right. in Jello uh, in special acts. So uh, the Flying Willindas, uh famously, yeah, now was that that was like a residency thing there. There was a, they were there for a couple mm-hmm. years, right? Yeah, they had a, a daily show, mm-hmm. and uh, you know it was small. You know where they were maybe walking like twenty feet, you know across the wire net, but uh, you had the whole family there, and that's where I first met uh, Nick Willenda and uh, met Delilah Willenda, his mom. Mm-hmm and other members of the family. And it was a very good show. And, you know, those are the kind of things they did. I mean, there was good entertainment there. 
And then you also, uh, you, uh, after that, you, you, sorry, you kind of went on a monologue, and I want to break it down because I, I do have thoughts to interject. But you said, like, the you know, uh, Bob Braun would do his morning show and stuff. Uh, so would you... Well, his daily show, yeah, his show, yeah. Well, yeah. That's what they would do out there. And... Okay, so so would you say that things like, uh, you know, having the Walindas come in and stuff like that was uh, very similar to today's market, like a PR opportunity where, you know, it's great that, they come in and they entertain the guests, but the true value to the park is when, you know, 180 other thousand other people read the article about it or whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it gave them something, you know, to work with as a PR thing to come see the, you know, the Walinda, the, you know, the flying Walindas, you know, come see them at, at that time it was Americana. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, um, you know, everybody, you know, no matter what age you were, you liked that show, you know, it was fun. And, uh, you know, it was, it was just to watch them walk the wire, you know, like I said, even though it wasn't you know, super high or long or anything like that, it was still spectacular. So you'd, you'd see things like that there. Yeah. I mean, and you always try to figure out how they did it or whatever, even though they're very openly saying there's no trick, it's all about balance, but I still don't believe that because I could never walk one of those wires. Um, yeah. So no, but a lot of, like, it's a lot of fun rides, yeah. you know, we were talking about the screeching Eagle, but you know, some other ones I I loved the carousel that they had there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that one was a classic. Unfortunately, they sold it off was, the horses um, in the early 80s, though, didn't they? No, they did not. Um, they weren't able to do that. They weren't? You know why? No. Why? Why couldn't they? They were not able to do that. Um, the carousel, which was PCT number 71, mm-hmm. it uh, debuted in 1924. But in 1988, it burned to the ground. Yeah. And that was, you know, this was two years before the other fire that they had um, in 1990. But I remember being really devastated, you know, when I heard that news. Woke up the next morning, you know, after it had happened. And, you know, it's all over the, the news in the morning. And, you know, it was one of my favorite rides there. You know, but it was things like that that, you know, started happening near the end. It seemed like they were plagued with one thing or another. And it wasn't what it was in the seventies by the late eighties. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so I did see on the Wikipedia, I, I trust you over Wikipedia that they had sold the carousel horses, but you could be right. I don't know. That'd be an interesting thing to follow up with at some point. Um, but, uh, yeah. So I, as a kid, like when I went there as a little kid, um, my favorite rides were, um, the the roundup, which I think might have been Hoos. I think that was kind of a roundup. Yeah. So the electric rainbow, as they called it, uh, which is mm-hmm. now at Stricker's Grove. That's a um, private yeah. amusement park in Ross, Ohio. That's open on the 4th of July, a day in October, and then like one other day per year. So if you miss that ride, you can go there. Uh, I distinctly remember um, riding the Rocco plane, which went to Coney Island, Cincinnati. And then I don't mm-hmm. know where it is now. Uh, all the rides got bought up. I do not believe it was scrapped. I think that it's on a fair course or it's somewhere, it's, but I lost track of that one. Yeah. Um, so I, rem- I, I, I remember that one from 2002 cause I went there, I would have been about 19 mm-hmm. in 2002. So I remember that. And then I rode that again in Coney Island before Coney Island got rid of their rides. 
And uh, so funny story for you. I was, I'm really good at Rocco planes because I'm not good at anything else. Uh, but one thing I can do is get the thing spinning like crazy. So I had it spinning and then I knew that we were supposed to get off in the next one. So we were spinning like forward flipping like crazy. And then as soon as we hit the bottom where we're supposed to get out, I dead stopped it. So we were upside down. And I just told the ride off, like, yeah, I don't know what happened. What's going on here? Like, just playing dumb. And they were just like, let go of the bar. Let go of the bar. And then I did. Yeah, let go of the bar. Yeah. <laughs> but that was fun. Um, as I mentioned, I remember the log jammer. Uh, I, the log jammer um, uh, uh, log flume. I don't know why I can't have that word either. Uh, but the log jammer was rated the most wet log flume in America or something. I remember them marketing that. Um, but I do remember writing that as a kid. So that was rather enjoyable um and then did you ever get to ride the serpent i did yes the serpent um it was my daughter's first ever roller coaster she was maybe four Hmm. at the at the most maybe five but it just terrified her and she was screaming and very upset when she got off of it and uh, my wife said, you know, congratulations, you've ruined her. She's never going to ride roller coasters with you when she gets older. She's not going to anything to do with it. And she didn't, you know, for a few years after that experience. But uh, that was my most memorable ride on that. Yeah, um, that was my first big coaster. Actually, my first little coaster was their little dipper that was there. Uh, the little dipper, I've got RCDB pulled up right now looking at this stuff, but little dipper was like, kind of like this, is it Myler? Is that the manufacturer that m- do most of those just circle rides, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. so little rides, dipper, right. and that was actually Alan Herschel that made this one. Um, and it closed in 2002, but they're not, or RCDB is not sure when it opened. Uh, but the serpent I think had a different name. Uh, or maybe I'm just wrong. I always thought that it had a different name, but no, it's called the Serpent. What, there it was it was called okay, that. Uh, but it's like a little galaxy coaster. Yeah, you know, for those uh, listening, and just a lot of fun. Um, you know, complimented the Screeching Eagle. You know, at that time, most parks, you know, you might have one at the most two, maybe three roller coasters. So you know, their numbers were as good as anybody else's at that point in time. Uh, did you ever do the? Uh, like the speedway little cars where, you know, kind of went up, you know, just around in circles, but, you know, it kind of went up a little bit of a ramp and then came back around. Um, it was a pretty good ride cycle on that. You maybe had like three, four minutes of, of ride time. Did you ever do that? that was I, I did. And I speed. remember thinking that the goal was to uh, like, like ramp over the little hump. And I was disappointed that yes, I was unable hump, to do yes. that. <laughs> yeah. But that was so much fun that I would do that over and over again too was never told to go write something else after I kept writing it repeatedly, but, uh, it, it was fun, you know, and they had some great, I mean, really, they had some great rides. Yeah. Um, so I'm looking up the serpent was moved to press play nine, eight, nine and Coke on Kokomo drive in Saginaw, Michigan, but it looks like it was cl- Saginaw. It, yes. it was closed in 2019 though. Uh, because they, they, they had it for a long time before it opened, but I, I saw that ride, in about 2007 or eight, uh, I was able to walk through the park. Uh, I'll actually put that video up. If you may remember from the first KI Central day at the park, uh, we showed that in the Kings Island Theater. But Jerry Couch let us walk through and take pictures. And it still had the train on the tracks and stuff. It was it just a lot of rehab. But somebody put on social. Yeah, their flume ride, you would get soaked on that, wouldn't you? Yeah, they said it was the wettest one in North America. 
So, I mean, you hit that splashdown. I mean, you got wet. Yeah, you certainly did. Um, what about the boat ride? The the actual uh, the the, the boat itself. Little paddle boat. Yeah. No, no, the big boat. Well, it's a big paddle boat. It's not like a little paddle boat you go on a date on. Do you remember that? I do. And then you had the sky ride too. Yes. Did you like the sky ride? Um, I don't know if I ever rode the sky ride, to be honest. Um, I might've been turned off by the fact that one of the vehicles fell into the lake at one point. Weren't you there that day? Yes. I mean, it, it was, empty. was on it. Yeah. Like, yeah, but that, that yeah, that's yeah. bad. I think from, from that point, like nowadays I'd probably ride it just because, you know, this is the ride that dropped a, a, a seed or whatever. But when I was like, you know, between the ages of 16 and 19, I remember thinking like, that's you're an idiot if you ride that. But uh, yeah, I mean, it didn't come off the cable. Let's be clear about that. It did not come off the cable. It was just the seat part. The seat part, like just the like the wooden part where people sit. So it was a little not... bench where you'd sit. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, where you'd sit. So it wasn't like it broke off the thing or anything, you know, nothing like that. Oh, I thought the whole thing fell like the whole unit that was like attached to the thing. I We need to get somebody on here that works for like Von Roll or something that can explain sky rides to us and like the science behind that, yeah. because those things are pretty darn cool. Um, so do you remember um, Cheddar's the Mouse and yeah, the characters? Yeah. Dasher the it's Duck. The That's the other one. I I. Yeah, those are the. I kind of remember them a little bit, but did they did they have walk around characters or, or what? How did they do that? Those were the two that I remember, and it was the seventies when they were there. I don't remember seeing them in the later years after it became Americana, um, but they were there, you know, from my young childhood days, going there through you know seventy six, seventy seven range. And then there was also swimming in the lake, which uh, guests could do until nine, you know, nineteen seventy six. I want to say. Uh, but that was also one of the things that, uh, you know, a lot of guests look forward to. Let's go to Lasordsville Lake and go swim in the lake and then have a picnic. Yeah, the lake was the attraction for the most part in the early days, right? Kind of like how Cedar Point's yeah, Beach that was, was the attraction. Yeah, that was, the, you know, one of the things that was there at the beginning, you know, when it first opened, when it was more of a picnic, you know, kind of place that uh, had the swimming facilities. So that's what people did. Yeah. But you'd see hundreds of people in the lake, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, it was, it was popular. And now I remember there being a pool. I'm guessing that they stopped swimming in the lake when they got the pool. Um, do you know why they yeah, stopped? I remember the 1976. You could, I don't know. I just know after 1976, you couldn't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. Probably because it's too hard to guard that, do lifeguard stuff. They couldn't, I mean, let's be honest. Yeah, it, and it was a man-made, it was man-made. So there was like a concrete, you know, floor mm -hmm. at the bottom. Yeah. Um, I, I wonder if today, if it's still completely flat, I know that it was years ago, uh, it was flat and you could kind of tell that something was there, but, but I, I wonder what it's like today. Um, so, yeah, but it was beautiful. I mean, for photos, mm -hmm. you know, back in the day with the, with the lake and everybody in it. Yeah. And then you had the roller coaster in the background. Um, cause a lot of parks just kind of, you know, you circled around, you know, the lake to go ride the attractions, um, the haunted house. Did you ever get to do that? I don't think so. I think it was called Tombstone Territory. I want to say, and then later on, maybe like Loggers Run or something like that. But it, uh, you're not real clear on the names. I just remember, you know, it's one of those ones you'd get in. It would like it was almost like the one at Camden, but mm -hmm. it didn't, you know, 
go up and things like that. It was more just flat track, but it, you know, you'd bang the door and then turn the next room, bang the door, and you know, those that kind of a haunted house. I want to say that 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 wasn't a thing by the time I went there, but was was Loggers Run the name of the log flume though? I. I I don't know. I just know that that was a name of something. <laughs> and I remember the haunted house. Maybe I'm thinking like Tombstone Territory was a name for it. Uh, Tombstone you know, Territory was the, the section. Yeah, we just called it. We just called it the haunted house. It probably was just the haunted house. Um, I'm scouring through the internet. They had they had a um a swinging ship with I think I think the Pew family brought in. Um. Don't forget about the Iron Horse train ride. Yeah, that was a Chance Rides train, wasn't it? Yeah, that opened in 1964, which was the same year that Cincinnati's Coney Island opened their train. Yeah. Okay. So um, just uh, scrolling through um, the website, RonnieSalerno.com, who was actually, these are the photos from when I... Um, got to go into the park in 2007-ish, but he noted that uh, in 2011, that's when the Screeching Eagle was torn down. I remember Jerry Couch telling us that he planned to do it because he was terrified that somebody was going to sneak in there in the middle of the night and, you know, climb the lift hill and fall off and die, and then he's liable. Um, yeah. And then also, you know, they didn't want to have, you know, let people know that they were going to demolish it when right. they did because that would have brought out a, a big crowd too because, again, you know, the enthusiasts, you know, they really loved that coaster. And a lot of them, you know, were hoping that it could be saved and go somewhere else. And, you know, he would see people that did sneak into the property and they were taking pictures mm -hmm. and, you know, hovering around the ride. So, you know, it was the right thing again to do that, to not tell anybody that was happening until it happened. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, let's be honest, by that point, it was not salvageable anyway. You know, you have a ride sitting for nine years, completely unmaintenanced. You're not saving that. Not not for, I mean, again, we talk about the price of a ride. You can either move that and you can have a few nostalgia nerds do it, or you can build a new ride that will please a new audience that will make money, you know? And unfortunately, in today's world, I don't think that moving wooden coasters is going to ever really be a thing again, at least in like North America. Um, yeah, and it was, um, you know, you walked around after it closed and, you know, I saw those pictures that Ronnie had mm. taken and, you know, published. And it, it was just sad for me because that was, you know, woven into the fabric of my childhood going to that park. And we would go multiple times mm. a summer. You know, we didn't go to, to Florida or anything when, when I was kids. You know, our big things was Cincinnati's Coney Island, then Kings Island and, you know, Lasortsville and Americana. Yeah. That's what we did. And uh, to just see, you know, the, the weeds and everything growing up, you know, through the coaster and, you know, uh, the condition of the, the flume and just different things like that. It was really sad for me to see that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, it was sad for now, me did too. Did you ever go to Fantasy Farm? I did. Did you ever go to Fantasy Farm right next door? Yeah, I did go to Fantasy Farm. Um, and so for those of you who don't know what the heck we're talking about, Fantasy Farm was an even little kiddier version, mainly with animals, but had a few rides that was right freaking next door. So you guys think Kings Dominion and Bush Gardens are close together? <laughs> These were right next door. Uh, now that was yeah, a there was like a fence that divided. Yeah, them. yeah. So there was a um, some sort of legal thing where if uh, and I'm just coming off the top of my head, but I believe that the owner of Lasortsville Lake sold it and then agreed to not build a new amusement park within a hundred miles or something like that. So 
under his son-in-law's name, he built one right next door. Uh, Fantasy Farm closed in like 1990 or so. Um, 91, yeah. So it opened in 63 mm-hmm. and then closed in, in 91. Um, you know, your paddings, you had your, you know, your your goats, you know, deer, horses, um, sheep. So when you're a little kid, you know, you're five or six years old. I mean, that's pretty cool to be able to get right up, you know, close to these animals and you could feed them the straw and, you know, the different things that they would eat. Yes. Um, so that was fun. Yeah. And you know, uh, I kid. distinctly, I, I went there with my preschool class. Uh, so I have very little, very few memories, but I do remember seeing a peacock walking around. Uh, and I, th- I yes, thought it had escaped because, and, and even the Cincinnati Zoo lets peacocks do whatever they want. So I guess they just won't fly off. Uh, but so here's a fun fact. The Tilt-A-Whirl from there made it over to Coney, or Coney Island, Cincinnati. Uh, that's another one where I'm mm-hmm. not sure where it went. Um, it certainly was not scrapped. Somebody bought it. But um, very few people know that. You know, the Tilt-A-Whirl. Yeah, so they had some they had some rides there mm-hmm. at uh, at Fantasy Farm. It was kind of designed for kids that were 12 and under. Yeah. So there was like a little playground area. Uh, I remember this big red barn. You know, they had this ride. It was like a little train car. You got in and, you know, you, you kind of pedaled around a track. And there was this big red barn. I can remember that. Mm-hmm. Uh, being there, they had a little turnpike attraction, and I threw a fit because my sister was the one who was going to drive. I wanted to drive, but she said no, she's driving. Mm-hmm. So I was upset the whole ride. You know, I don't know, I'm you know maybe six years old. So we go around, we come back in. I'm still angry. So you you know it says stop right here. There's a car in front of you. You know, so the people in the, the the vehicle in front of us, they're starting to get out of the thing. So I just hit the the pedal on our thing, the one my sister and I were in, and it goes and just rams into it. And these people, they fall out of it, you know, under the ground and that. And um, so at six years old, I was banned from that attraction. <laughs> well, I mean, even on the other side at Americana, they were asking you to choose other rides eventually. Um, so... Uh, yeah. So a lot of memories, you know, getting that, you know, I was just upset that I, that would have been my first time behind the wheel myself. Yeah. So I was excited because I met the high requirement to do it. But no, my sister, she decided, no, I'm driving. So, yeah. So still upset about that. The, um, there, so the, they have a train, they had a train as well. And I believe it went underground at some point. Is that right? Don't remember it going underground. I remember there being a train there. Mm-hmm. You know, again, I'm very, very young here. At this at this park, um, but I do remember there being a train because I remember like the little, you know, steam you know that coming out of it, but small, very small. Yeah, because um, I I don't think it's there anymore. But I know that uh, as of maybe a decade ago or so. And now this whole plot of land has changed, so don't go looking for it. But um, they there was still a tunnel underground that went. You know, it was not exactly a tunnel. It was about eight feet long. And that was for a ride. I always assumed it was a train, but it could have been anything. And it, it was before my memory. Um, oh, another factoid. Uh, so switching back to Lesortsville Lake. Um, did you know that the antique cars from Lesortsville Lake went to Kentucky Kingdom? Uh, yes. That's where they got their, their antique cars from. Isn't that cool? Very cool. I mean, like I said, it kind of lives on, you know, in other, other places. Almost every park does. If you, if you look at it, very few parks are just, I mean, even like Hard Rock Park, for example, they, you know, that's a modern example where uh, they had some huge like premier rides, uh, coasters, B&Ms and stuff. And they, they, you know, the ones in Vietnam and, you know, they're all over the place now. So 
So that's really cool. Um, now, um, you mentioned, uh, again, that, you know, they didn't see King's Island as a threat because... Not the beginning. So what did they do to compensate for it as time went on? Like when they realized that King's Island was a threat? You know, they tried to have more special events, you know, do different things like that to just draw attention. You know, when King's Island's opening rides, you know, the racer was a big deal at the time. Mm -hmm. And then you're opening, you know, Screaming Demon and, you know, the Beast, you know, those things happening in the 1970s. You weren't going to be able to compete with that, you know, in your Americana. So you had to do it a different way with, you know, special events, different stunts, um, you know, kept the, the ticket prices low. Um, so that was the only thing they could do to really compete. They did get some overflow. I mean, there were time, you know, and I had a lot of friends in the 1980s. We would do this and throughout the 90s, you know, they would come in from out of town and, you know, we would go over there for a couple hours and then come back to Kings Island, you know, just so they could experience the park. And I wanted to see it. So, you know, they get some of that from people. But, uh, you know, Kings Island had that that picnic facility. So, uh, you know, they just couldn't compete anymore with what was their bread and butter, which was the companies and you know, the picnics, especially on those weekends, you know, Sundays were, were just huge days, as I mentioned earlier. Yeah. Uh, did they have the season pass program? If they did, it was near the end, you know, because I just remember it was always, you know, like $3.50, at the, you know, in the early 70s. Yeah. And then, you know, I remember it being like nineteen ninety nine. I think that might have been where it topped out for me. But when I went. But I'm sure they did. I'm sure they did have a season pass. But, you know, I don't I, it never was something that I bought. Mm -hmm. Um. But I just remember the tickets were always, and they were pretty affordable. Yeah, even at the time, you know, because um, I, I, um, I assume that they added a season pass no earlier than when Kings Island did in 79. Uh, they probably did it maybe the next year to compete or something. Um, but, um, you know, so they competed with Kings Island. They thought it wasn't a threat. It ended up being a threat. Um, yeah, they thought there was room for both. And, you know, they thought they really thought that Kings Island was going to have to draw well over a million people mm -hmm. to to be able to hit their budgets, you know, because they knew that, uh, you know, Americana, you know, a couple hundred, you know, associates is all you needed. They knew at Kings Island you needed 1,500. You know, so they knew that uh, they thought they'd be able, if they could continue to draw, you know, that 600, 700,000 guests a year range, that they were going to be okay. Mm -hmm. You know, and they knew that Kings Island was going to need that seven figures to, to get there. And, well, Kings Island's first year, they hit two million. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so anyway, time marches on. Um, it was uh, it was a park entertainment that ended up buying them, was their last owner before they went on hiatus for a while. Uh, so that was the, the, the group that owned Coney Island. Uh, and that park entertainment went bankrupt, I believe. Uh, so Americana closes in 1999. Is that what your notes say? 1999. 1999. Yeah, 1999. So it sits abandoned. Uh, Jerry Couch, who was a, a local businessman that owns Couch's RVs, uh, quite the character. I did get to meet him. Um, he bought it and intended to... He, he's one of those guys with a lot of plans. Uh, I hope he's doing well, by the way. He's since retired in like 2012 or so, and even his RV dealership is, is gone. But... Um, his son's still in the RV business, actually, so maybe we should have him on at some point. But um, so he uh, he intended to have this uh, RV camp plus amusement park, uh, and then it's all in conjunction with his business of selling RVs and RV parts. It actually wasn't that bad of a business model. 
But he ran into the problem that often happens, and that's he buys this park, and he's like, I do not know how to run a theme park. So as part of not knowing how to run a theme park, he hires the Pew family. And now the Pew family is mm-hmm. former carnival operators. Uh, this did not go well. Uh, I know that lawsuits flew back and forth, and the Pew family fled before uh, before Labor Day. Um the I think that Jerry Couch's accusation was that they grabbed all the cash registers and stuff and left. So forgive me if that's not the exact story. I just know that um, that was what, according to Jerry Couch, was a reason why the park was unable to reopen. Now, with that being said, even if he couldn't reopen because it was really not making money, he'd probably push it off onto other people as well. But uh, so he reopened it in 2002. It was open for about two and a half months. Uh, that was my last visit there obviously um but it was dollar days and i didn't even know this going yeah in. i, I want to say it opened in july it was yes you know, it was it, well it was at least at least late june it was sometime like well into the core season um it yeah. might have been july but um so it was dollar days and i didn't know it it was just uh you know i was dating this girl at the time and you know we wanted to go to king's island but we had friends that were going to give us tickets but they fell through so we did went that went there instead um, so we got, went there and it was a dollar to park. It was a dollar to get into the park, uh, you know, for your wristband or however they were doing it. And then like most food items were a dollar. So it was actually a pretty kill. Yeah, we might've been there the same day because I remember that dollar day promotion and I wanted to see, you know, the park back open again. Mm-hmm. Pretty good crowd that day. I don't remember having to wait long for anything, but I also don't have that same mentality. Like for me, it's like, I'm not waiting three trains for the screeching Eagle. You know, but when I was there, like I might have waited a half hour for it for all I remember, you know. Um, but yeah, so I'm glad I had that memory because my my actual memories would be very vague uh otherwise because I went there as a kid. Probably the last time I went, I was about 10, switched to King's Island. I've got mem- many, many great memories of King's Island, obviously. Uh, and then it was able to go back for one last uh go around. Uh so with that being said though. Uh, I mentioned this earlier, but in 2007 or so, was K- the first KIC day your first year at Kings Island? Was it 2007? It, it was, was because because Firehawk had just opened. Yeah, so uh, we talked Jerry Couch into letting us, um, you know, walk through the property and take pictures, and we said it's a school project. So Jerry, if you're listening, I'm sorry we lied to you, but we we were we didn't break anything. Um, but he let us walk through. He was very courteous and. A character that would probably not fit in today in today's work environment. Let's put it that way. Um, but uh, the the lake had been drained. So I, as I mentioned before, it was it's this big flat area and it's got like buoys and stuff throughout it, but it's empty now. So he drained the lake. Uh, the screeching eagle was still there at the time. It was torn down about five years later. Um, and then a lot of the other buildings were in really really bad shape. Uh, there was some sort of puppet show or something in like a building shaped like a clown. Does that sound familiar to you? So it does sound familiar. Yeah. So that was over by Screeching Eagle, if I recall. Um, that uh, had like a wind damage and stuff. So all the tarps and stuff were ripped off of it. Um, all the bumper cars were flipped upside down. I don't know if that's from vandals or if it was from like they were doing maintenance, assuming it was going to open at some point. Um, but yeah. Uh, so Jerry Couch retires uh, in 2015, I think. Uh, Thanks again, RonnieSalerno.com for <laughs> supplying with that information. But uh, so the city of uh, Butler County actually buys it, Butler County, Ohio. Uh, they build a Butler Tech in 2017 uh, and they begin working on 
a public park that's currently there. So Lesordsville Lake, uh, and I wanted to make the title of this article not dead yet, just kind of a joke. It's not gone. You can go there right now, uh, assuming it's during park yeah. hours. Uh, the remnants of the Skyrider there, there's a bunch of buildings that were there. They did such a great job of taking this park that was once grand and beautiful and preserving as much of it as they can and making it like a normal public park. Have you ever been, been able to swing by there, Don? Yes, and I actually got to do it a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, it, I mean, it looks beautiful now with what they've done with it. You know, there's a, a bicycle trail there. Um, I almost didn't recognize it at first. You know, we were just going down the road and I was like, oh, wait a minute, that's where Americana was. You know, so you got to take a look at it and it, um, you know, it looks beautiful, you know, and with that, that school there, that campus looks great. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they've done a good job of the existing buildings that are still there. You know, they look refreshed. So, I mean, it, it's it's got a second act. Absolutely. Don, do you have any final thoughts about uh, La Sortsville Lake Americana? One thing came to my mind that I remembered, mm -hmm. and this was more in the 90s, but they had like this tent. It was like a Cinemax type of um, show that they did, like video. Mm -hmm. And it was like, you know, do you remember that? No, but I re I, I've read about it. They're like, this, sound, this yeah, sounds so right. That. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Yeah, I remember, I remember that. No seats. You had to sit on the floor, but I remember that. But no, it just, uh, you know, it was again that, um, you know, that chosen playground. You know, if you lived in southwest Ohio, that's what you did, you know, in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and, and early 70s. And that was the heyday for it. And it was right up there with all the other seasonal amusement parks in the country. I mean, it was a special place for so many people and uh, a lot of memories. And, you know, it's unfortunate that it's gone. But it is, and, and the memories, though, they're going to live forever. Amen. All right. Okay, so I, I know a lot of people have been on the edge of their seats about this, but um, Don, I, I think you've been in pretty good spirits given, like, because, you know, big life changes sometimes can either, like, make people feel, like, relieved or make them feel sad or nostalgic or melancholy or whatever, but you seem to be pretty chipper. Um, so, obviously, the news of the week broke. It was all over social media. Uh, people were asking me about it. I know members of your family even reached out to me. Um, what? Just spill the beans and tell us what happened. Well, this past Saturday, my daughter Maria, she got married uh, to a great guy. His name is John Engel. Uh, they're both school teachers. Um, the uh, wedding was held and the, the reception as well at the Rosewood Manor, which is in Springboro, Ohio. Just a beautiful facility. I mean, and the people that were there um, throughout the whole process of from the time that, you know, we first met with them all the way through till, you know, we left and we're cleaning up the place on Saturday night. I mean, they were just phenomenal. So I would highly recommend that if you're looking, if you live in that area of, of Ohio and you're looking for a place uh, to get married, uh, the Rosewood Manor in Springboro. But uh, for my daughter, I mean, you know, for years, you know, she always had dreams of what her wedding would look like. And, um, you know, it was everything that she could, you know, that she dreamed it would be and more. I mean, mm -hmm. that's that's the way to describe it. And uh, everything just went off the way it was supposed to. The food was really good. Everyone had a good time, you know, after the wedding with the reception and um, got to see a lot of, you know, people that, you know, the parents and the kids that she had, you know, grown up with, gone to school with, were in show choir with her. So it was good catching up with everybody there. Uh, just a special day. And, uh, you know, so 
Yeah, I mean, they're off on a Disney cruise right now. That was the thing they did at, right after the wedding, mm-hmm. you know, around 1030, 11 o'clock at night. Uh, they get in the vehicle, they go home, get their luggage, and then to the airport uh, where they spend a couple of days at Disney parks and then are on the cruise right now. And I've seen some different pictures that she keeps uh, sending us, uh, telling us we have to take a cruise. And I think that's something that my wife and I are going to do at some point. Uh, you know, we've never done that, uh, but the photos that we've seen, that has sold me on it. So we're definitely going to do that. But yeah, definitely a life-changing thing. You know, you think about it for years that your daughter's going to get married, and then here's the day. Uh, it came up fast, and you know, it was it. I won't use the word. I mean, a lot of times you get emotional at a wedding, but because of who she was marrying and how. I've gotten to know him over the past couple of years and gotten to know the parents. Um, you know, it was just great. She's marrying into a great. Yeah, she most certainly is. I I've actually, uh, so, uh, it's, you know, uh, to, to add some context to it, I've known Maria, I met her in 2006. So how old would she have been? Oh my gosh. She probably would have been 11. Yeah. She was, 11. she was like a little kid. Uh, but I probably saw her around Cincinnati Mighty Ducks games. I just, I didn't, I knew who you were, but I didn't know you. And I certainly wouldn't have associated her with you. Yeah. Um, yeah, she was a fixture at the Mighty Ducks games. All the fans knew who she was when she was like four or five and six years old. Yeah. And then um, uh, saw photos. She actually, uh, she reached out to me about a week and a half before the wedding. And she's like, hey, I was just thinking, and I, I, I don't know why I didn't invite you. So will you please come to my wedding? And um I, I really, I have, you know, a little bit of FOMO because I, I actually had a different wedding to go to. I was at a different wedding on Saturday. It's my girlfriend's friend from when they worked at Great Wolf Lodge together years ago. Um, but just seeing the photos and all the faces I recognize from Kings Island and stuff, because uh, Marie and I, we, we don't exactly like hang out on weekends, but our, our spheres of, of social like kind of intersect, you know, so uh, it would have been fun to be there. But uh, I saw the wonderful photo i saw like the uh dessert table like where they had the little cupcakes that was so oh elaborately done um uh, i know maria you can and that was done by yeah that was done by uh laura's cousin in in i think it's called waynesburg kentucky uh it's down near, near the tennessee near Bucky, border it's like so waynesburg or you know, <laughs> wayne whatever it is down that way but it's near you know stanford down that way um but she has her own little bakery there and so she did all of the desserts and those were, you know, very well received. So, um, you know, a lot of family members, you know, chipped in and helped with it. Um, just the setup to, uh, you know, the, la- the couple of days before the wedding to, to get the venue ready to go. Uh, so many of the, the moms that uh, my wife had become friends with during her show choir days, they all took time off work to come help get it set up. They stuck around afterward to help mm-hmm. get it all cleaned up. Uh, so just, just really, really... Um, you know, something that, uh, you know, I remember for a long time, just the way everybody, you know, pitched in, but just, you know, really how happy she was, how happy John was. And, uh, you know, it, it couldn't have gone any better. Well, so, uh, when Murray and I talked, when she messaged me about coming to the wedding, we found out that we're going to be potentially at the same Disney parks on the same days for yeah. two days. So we're going to try to organize at least like taking a picture together or something. So, uh, hopefully you'll see that on, I'll put it on our social media if she's okay with that but uh 
That could be. Really I think fun. one day is about studios, and one day is going to be Magic Kingdom. I right, think, right, and we're and we're going on the same part. Uh, I think we're going on the same day, which that'll be really cool. It's it's difficult. I mean, it's not like Kings Island where we can meet up and like, hey, let's ride the beast together because you know, there's Lightning Lane and all that stuff. So it's going to be nearly impossible to do something like that. But we what we did decide was that you know if it's convenient or whatever. We'll get together. We'll take a photo just to commemorate the fact that we ran into each other down there. But congratulations to Maria and John. Uh, like I said, I know Maria for a long time. Very talented girl. Uh, she can sing like a freaking angel. Um, and then uh, John, I met briefly, but he seems like a really fun guy to be around. So uh, for good for them. Happy for them. Um, yeah, you know, during the rehearsal that on the Friday night. I couldn't get my line right. And all I had to say was when they say, you know, who gives her, you know, away. And I just had to say her mother and I, and I kept botching that up. What did you say? Well, I, when, the, you know, I was like my wife and I, or, you know, whatever, I just kept, you know, botching it up. And then, you know, cause they're all in, in both sides of the, the wedding party, you know, they're all theater people. Right. And, um, you know, I just told them, I say, Hey, look, give me, give me some slack here. I didn't do any theater growing up or anything <laughs> like that. You know, so I didn't have to memorize the lines, but it went perfect when I came down the aisle with her. You know, um, I think she was worried I was going to say something, you know, just different to try to make people laugh and that. But I didn't. I kept it straight. And, you know, when the, 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 when they said, hey, you know, who who gives her? And I was just like, you know, her mother and I. And then all the bridesmaids all looked at me like he got it right. <laughs> Did you uh, speak at the rece- the um, the rehearsal dinner? Um, no, not really, because we all talked to each other, you know, throughout the process you know, of, of during the rehearsal and, you know, we were all in uh, the same rooms and things like that. So everybody talked and every, you know, the, so I didn't do it there, but uh, that was at Warped Wing in Springboro, another place that, you know, highly recommend. What kind of food is Warped Wing? Um, it is, you know, you've got your, um, you know, obviously, you know, chicken wings, but you've got briskets, you've got um, all kinds of, you know, different meats, pulled pork, so it's like, it's so, like a, like Dollywood. <laughs> All right. Yeah. But it so, was really, I mean, really good food. And then they got these like tater tot type things hmm. that you could just, just get that. Yeah. And you're, you're going to feel like you're in heaven. I mean, those were amazing. Absolutely. Hey, so, uh, congratulations again, once again, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Engel is that's the last name. How do you say it? Engel. Correct. So that's, uh, that's so cool. So, um, yeah, so that's the big news. The last couple of weeks where people, you know, since Saturday, whatever it's, it's been, been all over talking social about media. it on social. And I mean, I, I'm exactly. not kidding. Everybody I've had congratulating me. Facebook and... people have been contacting me on Facebook. People have been, uh, tweeting me, texting me like old friends have come out of the woodwork, uh, just to talk about this. So congratulations to us too. Well, for a lot of people, you know, unless you saw me, during my hockey days, you know, on the game nights and that, you know, some of the pictures, it was the first time anyone had ever seen me in a suit. That was my first time so, seeing you. No, I take that back. I've seen you wear like a shirt and tie because like I've worked with you on the media stuff. And I distinctly remember you wearing like a jacket, shirt and tie, but not a suit suit. You know, that was that was weird seeing that. And I can remember probably since the early early nineties when I was working for hockey teams that, uh, you know, when we had to wear a suit and then later on it kind of relaxed a little bit, just have a jacket, you know, and a tie, um, wear some khakis kind of a thing. But yeah. So that was what a lot of people were messaging me about was, Oh my gosh, I've never seen you in a suit before. Yeah. That's crazy. All right. Well, Don, I think it's time for a little segment we like to call the pick six. (laughs) 
All right. All right. So I'll get it yeah, started. Yeah, you go here. first. We have Molly Murphy. She was named president of Universal Creative. Uh, very, very impressive uh, background resume for her. Uh, she comes to them or to that role after working at the architecture and design firm Gensler. Uh, and that was most recently serving there as principal and co-managing director of the firm's New York division. So, you know, that's a pretty b- big job there. Uh, she co-founded the firm's digital experience design practice. Uh, which uses interactive and visualization technology and software to create immersive experiences. I think Ryan, she's going to be a great fit there. What about you? I uh, I agree. Uh, I think she's going to be fantastic. Um, she's got a, quite a work ahead of her with Epic Universe. Uh, we haven't done much coverage of Epic Universe recently, and I almost threw something into the pick six about that. But I don't want to make this a weekly thing of like, up oh, another piece of tracks up, but. Uh, Universal Creative is the standard nowadays. Um, it does sound like that she's very qualified to do this. So congratulations, sir. Yeah, I think they're in good hands. Absolutely. All right. Story number two. So uh, there was an article that came out about uh, Holiday World's drone show. Um, drones are the new thing this year. They have 400 of them, though. Uh, and they kind of just talk about the process. Uh, a lot of this was covered by Joe Rossi when we talked about Fun Fireworks and 50 at Kings Island. But you know, all the drones have to be charged up. They're all run off GPS. Um, they can't, you can't do them overhead. That'd be cool if you could do them overhead. Like you could write something over a different section of the park, but the technology's not there because if it loses GPS, it just lands, you know? Um, but they're actually doing 400 drones and the standard, it seems to be is 200. So you, you can see how elaborate that is with those 400, but Don, how much longer do you think that we'll have drone shows before that's something that people have already seen you know i think three or four more years and then it'll be on to the next thing uh but it's definitely changed the nighttime experiences you know i think fireworks alone you know don't get it done too much anymore for people they want to see a bigger and better kind of show and you know now that you've seen you know king's island you've seen holiday world you've seen dolly um dollywood you know, using drones that that's now become kind of the expectation, you know, or otherwise they're not likely maybe to stay at night to just watch just a traditional, you know, three to four minute fireworks show. So it's uh, definitely makes it more immersive, makes it more spectacular. Um, but, you know, I'm looking forward to the next three or four years, what maybe the next thing might be. And I really, really like that they showed, you know, behind the scenes, you know, mm-hmm. how this all works yeah. and how it gets coordinated and what's all involved because everybody loves the show. You know, and but they don't realize what's involved uh, behind the scenes to make that work, and all the people that's involved in in making it happen and putting that show on for the guest. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's uh, drones are are sticky. Let's put it that way, because you can't just do them once. Uh, do you recall the first time we watched uh, that first preview night of Fun Fireworks in Fifty? When I ran into you, probably ten or fifteen seconds after the show ended, do you remember what I put, put exact my exact quote, and I stand behind it? I think you said something about uh, there's no turning back from this or something along those lines. I believe my exact words were, I hope you like drones because you're stuck with them for the rest of your life. <laughs> it was something, yeah, I knew it was something along those lines. And I mean, it changed the game. You know, it really did. And, uh, you know, that's what we're starting to see now. And, you know, it really, really enhances it. And you do want to stick around, you know, extend your stay to the end of the night so you can see these shows. And no matter how many times you watch it, it doesn't get old. So let me ask you this about about drones, and, and this would probably be more of a question suited for Joe Rossi, but let me get your opinion from a marketing standpoint. Do you think it would be cool 
if we were to the point now where it was cost effective to have the drone should it be a little bit more dynamic as in uh, the one that they have at King's Island Adventure awaits, um, you know, it, it does the same thing every night. But instead of having the King's Island logo hover in the sky for a while, which, by the way, is awesome. And I wish they would have been able to do that for the fun fireworks and 50. But they could have they could say uh, Grand Carnival, you know, July, whatever, until August, whatever. Do you think that day is soon? And do you think that would be an effective marketing tool or do you think that's too much? Well, I think you can. No, I think you can do that. Um, you know, when you saw a Fourth of July show, it was certainly you know reconfigured and different uh, for that. So yeah, I mean, the technology is there to do that now if you wanted to. Yeah, I, the technology's there, but I'm wondering, you know, they'll they'll put they clearly put money into the Fourth of July. So I, what I wouldn't want them to do yeah, is, but if you got something that's only going to be like a you know two week run or something, three week run, you know, maybe you don't want to interrupt your your nighttime show, which is you know, what people come to see and maybe they want to see that same show again, or people have talked about that show and then somebody else goes because of that and wants to see it, you know, what they've heard. So you don't really want to mess with it. No, I, I wouldn't throw it in the to... middle. I wouldn't remove a section, but I'm saying like the very end of the show, um, you know, when the drones are just lingering to have like some sort of message or whatever, but, but of course, like it's a monkey's paw situation too, because I don't, what I don't want is, you know, fireworks going off drones and then the, the, the drink coca-cola you know i don't want that but i'm saying like for park specific no, no. stuff i think that it could be a an interesting way to uh to have you know now that you bring that i never thought about that brian but now that you mentioned that i can see the day where some park is going to have you know a, a presenting sponsor <laughs> with the drones you know whether that's right at the beginning or right at the end but i i think you know now that you mention it you know, someone's going to think about that. Someone's going to. Do well, it. it's already been done, not in a park, but uh, in Cincinnati when they did the drone show for, I think, the mm -hmm. Blink celebration. It was sponsored by Alta Fiber, which is one of the Internet suppliers, yes. and they made their logo within the show. But if it's cool, I mean, if it looks cool, then cool. As long as it blends in. Right? Yeah. 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 But I mean, like, I wouldn't want to have an advertisement in the sky, but I think that a message that people might want to see because they people want to know what's going on at the parks. You know, especially season pass heavy parks where they want to know why they're coming the next time. Like, I, I you know, I don't know. Uh, very cool article. Uh, very, very good information. Just Google it. You'll you'll find it. It's just fantastic. What's up next? Next, we have permits. It shows that Disney plans to update Jungle Cruise at Walt Disney World. Now, Ryan, you know, we've seen these different things and they do updates and it looks like it's, you know, they got a certain window to do it, you know, a few years here. Do you think it's going to be a dramatic change or you think it's going to be something that they're just, you know, kind of refurbishing a little bit and it's still going to be known as Jungle Cruise? I would guess 100% that it'll still be Jungle Cruise. Um, I think the experience will be relatively similar just with upgraded animatronics because Jungle Cruise is cool. But if you just rode Tron and then you ride Jungle Cruise, one of them seems pretty passe. What are your thoughts? Yes, I agree with you that they just have to upgrade it and kind of match other things that they're doing now in the park. I agree. Cool. All right. So uh, the next story is uh, 2023 Amusement Today Golden Ticket Awards are going to be September 8th through the 9th at Dollywood. And registration is open. Um, you're, uh, you can currently make... Reservations at the host hotel, which is Dream More. Unfortunately, Hearthsong will not be open yet. That's not till November. But uh, you ever gotten to go to the Golden Ticket Awards, like the actual ceremony? I went uh, several times. Did you really? Um, 
I did, yes. And, um, you know, a few of those times I was one of the ones that, uh, you know, got up and collected the golden ticket uh, when the park would win that uh, certain category. But, yeah, it's a great time uh, the night before with the reception and and you have all these, uh, you know, different people throughout the industry there, you know, some pretty big names in the industry, and it's just a great uh, networking opportunity. Um, but very well done always, always by the Amusement Today staff. It's the, um, you know, like the Golden Globes, you know, uh, of the industry. And if you can do it, you know, go there. It, it is a can't-miss opportunity. You definitely want to uh, check it out. Um, and like I said, it's it's really, really well done. And it's, it's it's just a different way to, um, you know, see how the parks are recognized, you know, for the, the, the different things that they're doing throughout the year, all the different categories uh, are always fun. And it's and when you're in the crowd, it's also fun when they put the, you know, the, the five or, you know, 10 nominees or whatever up on the, on the screen and you're, you know, trying to guess yourself what order you think it's going to be mm-hmm. in. So it's just a fun experience to be there. I mean, you can watch it online. But nothing beats being there in person. I, I really want to go someday. Maybe we can do the podcast from there. I, I say that with everything that goes on. All right. What's next? Well, you know what? I think this year what we should do, the, the when they're doing it, we should have it on and be watching it. And then as the category comes up, you know, we, you and I discuss, you know, after the winner, what would have been, our, you know, how we would have had those ranked. I think we can do that this yeah, year. Yeah, we could try that. Uh, maybe even do it live like we do it live. Like, like we promised last year and did not deliver i still feel bad about that oh we promised for what 55 weeks or something we're going to do this stuff yeah for. so we will do it we will do it and i think that's a perfect thing to do live is for us to to be in a room watching it and have discussion as it's happening yeah you know and and kind of be the analyst for for that all right next back to disney parks they saw a decrease in wait times on the 4th of july you know both in Orlando for their four parks, also at Disneyland. Do you think this is a concern, Ryan, or do you think it's just kind of typical that, uh, you know, maybe that's how those parks are all the time on that holiday? Um, what are your thoughts? Um, so for 4th of July itself, it is not concerning. Um, cause I always felt like 4th of July would be very hit or miss because it's going to go one of two ways. It's either going to go, it's 4th of July. We need to go to Disneyland or it's 4th of July. There's a million things to do besides Disneyland. Um, I, I know that a lot of reporting has said that their attendance in their parks has been down. Um, I've been watching mm-hmm. the wait, planning a Disney trip coming up in a couple of days. I've been watching the wait time spread rather closely. Uh, they seem to be within reason, which you should not expect during the core season over the summer. Um, but maybe the attitudes changed, you know, and I'm not talking about their, like their thing with DeSantis or anything. I'm talking about maybe people have figured out that the summer isn't really a great time to be in Florida. You know, it's just way too hot and it's way more pleasant in like January, February, March. What are your thoughts? You know, I mean... I agree with you there that, you know, different things, people might look at it a little bit differently in that. I do think they've gotten to the point to where, you know, the cost to go in, you know, to get your tickets, you know, it's maybe exceeded what, you know, the average family can handle. So you might have priced some people out and they're doing some different things. Uh, You do see some different uh, deals that are being offered that are out there. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you never really saw that before. Right. So... You know, I think it's something that, you know, they're looking at closely and, and, but every time I see pictures or video, I mean, there's, it's packed. I'll certainly report you know, whenever back. I see any pictures. Uh, one thing I will tell you is that even somebody that's 
both empathetic to theme parks as like I, I am or sympathetic, I guess would be the word. And uh, somebody that's tech savvy and knows parks and kind of gets it. This lightning lane stuff. I've had to pull in every resource possible. I, I asked your daughter about it when she reached out to me how it works. My sister-in-law is a big Disney World fan, so she she explains some mm -hmm. stuff. It's just, I think they overcomplicated the process. They're trying to make a better experience. That could be a factor. Yeah, that definitely could be a factor if it's too overwhelming when you're just trying to figure it out on your device. Right. I didn't know, um, I mean, we keep up with the news, and I still didn't i thought that basically for tron and stuff like that you had to pay for the lightning lane and that was the only way you can ride it without having to wait forever um but apparently there's like a virtual queue that you can also do i, I just you know i think people see this and they're just like I, i'd rather do something else you know i think it's too stressful you know yeah can't make it hard and you're supposed to go there to relax and have fun you're right if it's stressful that's that's not something that you're going to be interested in all right Last story. All right. Final one, Ryan. What do we got? Uh, well, this is me. So Haunted Mansion at Magic Kingdom, speaking of which, uh, that's going to be closed for refurbishment from August 7th to the 9th. Um, it's got to be something little. Uh, it's you and about a million other people. It's like said something about like a hat ghost, hot hat box ghost. What What is that? Well, that's like a character. You know, you, they have it at the, the Haunted Mansion in Disneyland, but you know, I don't know. I, I think it's just, you know, it's a short term thing, you know, where it's the seventh, eighth, and ninth. That's of August. That's the only time it's gonna be down. So it's not gonna be any kind of major work. So I think it's just really at this time, I think some routine uh, refurbishment. You're not gonna see the hat box ghost all of a sudden there on August tenth, I don't believe. I mean, it could happen, but I don't believe that's gonna right. happen. I think that's something that would happen down the road. Um, but you know, we'll see. Yeah, and, and you got to we'll remember see. that D Disney standards are not the same standards that the rest of the world works off of. So they could be replacing every motor in there, every chain in there, but they would have fifteen crews working forty and, and eight straight hours. You know, they're yeah, you know, where they have rides that are down. You know, for three days, five days, maybe two week period. You know, they're open daily. They don't have a, a you know the winter months to kind of. Uh, rehab everything so you know it happens during the season so this is one of those things that you see with a lot of different attractions the fact that it's a marquee attraction there um yeah it's gonna draw a little more attention to it but i do like the fact that they they put it out there far enough in advance that uh, you know you can plan accordingly yeah uh love haunted mansion looking forward to that one so don we've got uh we're kicking an extra point today what's what's the latest news that came up right before <laughs> we started recording um Carowinds, they released a statement with an update on Fury 325, uh, you know, provide a lot of information for everybody and, you know, throughout the industry, everybody's, you know, watching that and anxious to see what's happening. And I thought they've done a very, very good job of being, you know, honest, transparent, uh, you know, keeping everybody in a loop exactly what they're doing, what's all involved, uh, you know, when you might see it back open again. Um, you know, even down to like how many test cycles you have to right. do. I think it's kind of a model that you could look at if you are, um, you know, a PR person, uh, uh, you know, communications department at uh, parks throughout the country and just look at how they've handled this and how, um, you know, like I said, just, just transparent they've been, you know, you don't see that a lot. And I really, um, you know, want to give them credit for doing that. And they've kept, by doing that, they've kept all the rumors and the speculation and everything just kind of taken on a life of its own. Right. Uh, you know, with the way social media is today. So I think they've controlled the narrative. 
And I, and I think that, uh, you know, people really appreciate that. So j- quick update on this, actually. Um, right before we hit this topic, uh, I got some pictures from Brandon from Theme Park Predictions, who's been on the show previously, and he sent them. I'm going to put them right. Wait, I'm out of camera. Right here. I'll put them there. Um, but the the new support is on site now that is being shipped in as we speak. So he sent me some pictures. I'll put them on the, the show. But uh, make sure you check out Theme Park Predictions because he's got some pretty good information. Well, that was a fun walk down memory lane, Don. You know, it was. And, you know, just rekindling a lot of memories as we were talking back and forth. You know, you'd mentioned something. You, know, you mentioned like the boat ride. Mm-hmm. You know, and then that visual came back to my head, you know, how you got in it um, and then just kind of went around, you know, the lake a little bit and just little things like that. And it was just, you know, just part of my life. You know, obviously it was part of yours. You know, uh, you got to see it more toward the tail end. But, you know, I grew up there. So a lot of special memories. And I'm glad we had a chance to talk about it tonight. Yeah, so do I. All right. So, um, yeah. So make sure that you uh, subscribe to us on YouTube by searching for the Attractions Group podcast. Uh, remember what we said about merchandise. We will have it to you. Send us a PM if you want a preview because we'll sell it now. Trust me. Um, you can subscribe on your favorite podcast apps. Um, and then make sure you follow us on Twitter at attractions underscore GRP. Thanks, everyone. Have a good week.